everybody and welcome to another episode of Vet Chat and today I am joined by Paul Cooper who is the extended president of the British Veterinary Dental Association in light of, of recent events. Paul, fantastic to have you with us. I just wonder if you can tell people in your own words a little bit about you know, what's going on with, with BVDA this year and with the Congress and obviously the, uh, the challenges that you've maybe faced in getting the, uh, the physical event from, from March, April time to come to fruition uh, with, with your digital Congress this September. Absolutely. We had worked on having a parallel stream two session event in April this year, previous AVA. Um, we've got an amazing lineup of speakers the new team at BVDA, um, we took over in April 2019, um, really worked hard, pulled together, got us a great program. And then, of course, at the last minute, BSAVA was pulled, so all the pre-Congress meetings were pulled. And then, so we really deflated. But then Chris Allen, one of our um, committee members, had a brilliant idea of, let's do it as a virtual event. And we all thought, really? How do we do that? And luckily, he's done some work with Webinar Vet before. So we contacted Webinar Vet, and with their help, we've put together basically exactly the same program we would have had as a live event in April uh, this month. And uh, it, the, the advantages are phenomenal because you don't need to travel, you don't need to uh, have accommodation, you can watch the event live on the day, and you can choose which stream you watch live. And then for the next six months, you can go back and watch the other one, the other presentations you missed, and also re-watch the ones you saw, because there's no doubt that when you sit in a presentation, there are two things you really pick up and go away with. The ones that you, things that you already knew, so confirmational bias comes in, so you remember that bit because it confirms what you knew. Things that are really brand new and rocket science to you, you remember those bits, but all the bits in the middle where what you potentially have already learned is is a bit wrong and needs to go off another direction. You don't actually remember those the first time round. When you watch it all the second time, that's when you pick up the really interesting bits. Yeah, and like you say, that's the real interesting twist really with a, a digital sort of collection of materials because you can just re-digest them at your own leisure. Uh, but of course, you know, the the digital events aren't the same as a physical event. And I just wonder on a, on a personal level, perhaps, what what will you miss from that sort of physical BBDA sort of, you know, day that you have uh, sort of pre-BSAVA every year? What, what, what do you feel as though Will, is, is missing for you in this year? The human contact and the personal connections one makes at these meetings, particularly in the breaks when you're meeting old colleagues and having a catch up there, you're meeting new colleagues. You're also having a, a great one-on-one -on -one talk with, uh, with our partners and sponsors for these events. It's great to actually physically be able to pick up their instruments, look at their radiography software and actually see it live. There's, there's, there can't, sadly, there can't really be much of a substitute for that interaction but we have put together this amazing goodie bag digital goodie bag for our delegates at the um, webinar event so our partners have, have had a massive thing together and they put together wonderful series of uh, little competitions and 
incredible prizes for people who log on to their websites and uh, enter the competitions, um, which we'll go as far as we can and, and make contact with their partners that way. Yeah. And I have to say, dental, um, dental prizes and things are generally pretty good. I remember the last BVDA Congress day I was at, I ended up going home with a set of IM3 elevators and luxators. And of course, I was the best thing since sliced bread to my bosses because I'd saved them a few hundred quid. And I was like, no, 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 these are my tools. Nobody else is touching (laughs) them and blunting them. So dentistry is obviously, you know, uh, a topic that is is very much on the upward curve, uh, we would hope, across the profession. And it's something that has perhaps been the the neglected arm of GP practice in, in years gone by. And I just wonder, sort of looking at your own journey through your career and, and your aspirations for, for uh, the evolution of, of dentistry, certainly in GP practice, how have you seen that evolution go and where do you see it sort of advancing in future? I think the evolution has been a relatively snail's pace. And I'm just going to read you a passage out of Professor Merillat's book called Animal Dentistry and Diseases of the Mouth. And he writes... Animal dentistry is unpopular, not so much because it is difficult, tedious, and even dangerous, but because it is regarded as of minor importance in the veterinary colleges and by the better class of veterinary practitioners, who willingly stigmatize animal dentistry as an unimportant side issue by relegating dental operations to the student, the assistant, the stable helper, the horseshoer, or the horse dentist. This was actually written in 1908, and sadly, and 112 years that have passed, um, certainly as far as the veterinary colleges go, this is worldwide, I don't want to single out anyone. By and large, that attitude still exists. They now start to say, yes, we're going to teach dentistry, but they tend to relegate it to the state where they, they just set, delegate somebody and say, you're teaching dentistry, despite the fact they know nothing about dentistry at all. Um, they're just delegated to do it. So the university then thinks they've ticked the box, but they haven't actually done their students or ultimately the patients a lot of good. Mm. BVDA initially, many years ago, ran courses, started running courses within universities. And BVDA would go in, um, volunteers from from BVDA would go in and, and teach for one or two days. And we suddenly realized that actually they were then using that as their tick box. So they ticked off BVD had done it. They didn't actually want to put anything in it themselves. So we've started to push back and and gradually we'd stopped doing those courses, um, but offered support to the universities to help them run their own courses. And it's a slow process, but this is not by no means restricted to uh, the UK, this is a worldwide phenomenon, as we know through my work with the European Veterinary Dental Society and the um, American Veterinary Dental Foundation. It, it's a big problem in universities worldwide. And obviously, you know, the, the education we get is, is, should we go with negligible? in terms of the time that can be invested in dental education, because of course, you know, there are only so many hours in the day and so many hours in the academic year and there is this vast swathe that, that universities have to teach us. So there does of course have to be a degree of personal investment in your development. 
And I think, you know, it, it, it's only right that, you know, if, if we want to deliver a good service, we do have to invest in ourselves, um, especially as younger graduates when we're coming up and through. I just wonder what, what BVDA have, have in place for those of you that, uh, much like you and I, have got the um, taste for, for dentistry and enjoy that kind of service, because I, th- I think it is something that is uh, potentially polarising in practice. You're either a lover or a hater in many cases when it comes to dentistry. Yeah, when I started out um, interested in dentistry, probably 30 years ago now, just over 30 years ago, the BVDA were the only people running courses, uh, postgraduate courses in dentistry. And um, they were very successful and most of the veterinary dentists currently active in the UK um, certainly came up through that route. Now though, there are a number of commercial organisations running dental courses the corporates are also running dental courses not only for their new graduates but a lot of them are starting to run more advanced one uh, courses as well so the bvd has stepped back a bit initially from running course or their normal basic courses and I, we were about to start running more advanced courses with one of our partners um im3 in their facility purpose-built facility in dublin this was all on building up we had a, a an idea of how to run courses and then of course covid came along and everything stopped so this is all in the pipeline so we've got practical courses coming as soon as we're allowed and that of course has had a setback this week because the irish government have closed everything down you're not even allowed out of your own town so the other thing we started was a regional tour talking teeth So this was a series of regional meetings around the country that would be a little sound, little bites. So not just one big talk for an evening. It was an evening of dental education with food. So you could come straight from practice. And there were were about four or five short talks on practical topics that people would want to know in practice. And each talk was, each area was a bit different, different uh, mix of speakers and topics and this got off to a flying start down in the west country um, until covid came along and then it all ground to a halt but we have got plans to restart as soon as we're available again to to get people and a physical meeting yes we could hold these zoom one of the advantages of physical meeting over the meal and, and coffee we actually all chatted about dentistry as well so this was a good exchange of uh, ideas that were going on and people were able to ask questions from practice that had been bugging them mm. and it was a great forum. We have also got our Facebook forum, Facebook group where people come along and post questions and it, almost uh, every day somebody's on there posting questions and wanting answers. And, and I think that's one of the great things with BVDA isn't it, you know there is this real network of people you know that that are all levels of experience there's the young and inexperienced who are keen to learn right up to you know diplomat level experience that are all on an even keel and and happily sharing information and insight with one another and i think you know that is very much sort of testament to the organization and this sort of community network element that that you know is becoming more and more commonplace in in various different subsections of the profession and and of course you know you look at, you know, we touched earlier on the evolution of, of dentistry and practice, but I know that one of the things that's, that's important to yourself is, is, you know, very much having sort of dental advocates in practices. And I just wonder if you could just tell people 
a little bit about what the rationale and the thought process is behind that for, for sort of, you know, maximizing dental care to our patients? I think throughout certainly my career, which started in the 70s, everybody in practice has been expected to do dentistry, small land of dentistry we're talking about here. And as I've retired from full-time clinical practice and done a lot more teaching, particularly of new graduates, it's fairly obvious that there are some small number of individuals who just haven't got the digital dexterity to do it. And I this used to see this in practice with surgery. Some people, um, when they were spaying a cat, it looked like they were using a pickaxe and a spade and a fork. <laughs> it really was painful to watch. And it but those people had other skills. So give me a dermatology case and I lose lose the will to live. Whereas these, some of these people, they just love it. And they get in there and they do the full workup and they have a really cured uh, patient and a really happy client. So um, I think we should all start thinking about why is it that in small animal practice, all vets are expected to do dentistry. If uh, I diagnosed a fractured cruciate in a practice, I wouldn't expect to do it because I don't have the skills for it. I'd refer it to the orthopedics uh, specialist. So why don't we start having in a practice um, someone who's a dental advocate, which is a, uh, I think, good term that's starting to be used, someone who actually does do more of the dentistry and actually like A, likes it, B, is uh, does the training so they get good at it. So we actually start to specialise within a practice so dentistry becomes one of the specializations, not just that everybody's got to do it when they've done, you know, everything else has been done in the day. So dentistry gets left to last and whoever happens to be on that shift ha has to do it, whether they really like it or not. Because if you don't like something, you're not going to be good at it and you really won't do the patient any great favors. Yeah, and I think there is, there's a lot to be said for, you know, there's some things in practice that you can just say, you know, wham, bam, let's get you in, get you out, get you through the doors and so on and so forth. But good dentistry, of course, you know, is one of them things that can't be rushed and does take times. And of course, we're in times as a profession where we're under increasing time pressure. And I just wonder if you've got any insights to people in busy practices that have maybe got small teams that, you know, can't outsource things here, there and everywhere as to ways in which they can maximize their dental care of their patients and, you know, little tips for how to offer that best dentistry for a GP practice where, you know, we don't have all of the bells and whistles. All the bells and whistles. I think when we talk about doing dentistry to high standard, we are not necessarily talking about being able to do root canals and orthodontics and all the sexy stuff at that end. It's really the bulk of our patients need a really good periodontal therapy um, session of removing the tartar, removing the plaque, which is actually the be all and end all, and remembering that the, the tartar that's at the tip of the tooth on the crown by and large, is of no is of no detriment to the animal at all. It's the the calculus cum tartar, whatever you like to call it, that's at the gum margin and under the gingival margin. That's actually the important bit because that retains plaque, and it plaque that does the damage to the periodontium, which is the quarter of the tooth and the gingiva. And once that's gone, the tooth is history, and it has to come out. So what ends up is that 
dental courses end up talking about extraction, how to do extractions. Well, that to my way of thinking is like going on an internal medicine course and the most important thing they teach you is how to euthanize the patient. This is crazy. Extraction of teeth has been called euthanasia. We should, if we have to take a tooth out, we, as in we, the vet, and we include the client in that, have failed. That's failure. By the time it comes to that, we should be in there a lot earlier. We should be telling our clients to look a lot earlier so that they actually start taking care of the teeth to preserve the periodontium and so that extraction becomes much further down the line or not at all. And all these things take time when you're doing a proper job. And something that now being talked about is staging dentistry. And I think this for a uh, younger graduate who's not confident and quite slow at doing things because they want to do a really good job, I don't see any harm in doing it staged. So your first uh, anaesthetic is to do a full examination of the the mouth and before the anaesthetic of course don't forget the pre-anaesthetic examination of the external structures and the occlusion the occlusion you can only check prior to anaesthesia when the arms is conscious you anaesthetize you do a full examination you probably do a scale and polish just certainly a scale just to get so you can see what you've got you then do a chart while you're doing that And then you can make a plan so that if it needs lots of extractions and or periodontal surgery, you can actually then talk to the client and do it as a second procedure and probably a much cheaper anesthetic for that. So that overall the cost is perhaps a little bit more, but the owner perceives great value because you've had two procedures and you've taken a lot more time and you've actually discussed this with the client. Nothing worse than somebody dropping off their pet in the morning with the nurse and then just picking it up and the nurse says, here you are, we've done it, here's the bill. No, explain what you've done, go through it all. Explain A, what you've done and B, what the client needs to do to help keep them right. Yeah, and I know I certainly have worked in in multiple practices that have started doing these biphasic dentals and it is really interesting to actually see when people have the time to invest in, in educating their owner as to what they're doing, why they're doing, and you know, this is why this is costing you five, six hundred quid. Actually, invariably that 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 conversation flow with an owner is very different because they're looking at it and going, well, okay, now I understand what it's doing. And actually spending this money now is stopping me spending four figures in 18 months time on treating this or, you know, potentially even less than that. And I think that is something that as a profession, we I think we are getting more confident at discussing these things with owners, but it's great to see that evolution and, and also to see practices that are willing to say, look, you know, we're not going to compromise on our care. If you want a quick job, go to Joe Dog blocks down the road, but actually they're not going to do the dentistry anywhere near as good as this, which means you're going to be back spending the same amount again in, in, in six to 12 months time. So obviously you touched on, on periodontal disease earlier which is, you know, to, um, to anyone who has a, a, a love of dentistry, probably the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the golden goose and sort of, you know, the, the, very much that sort of 
exciting area of, you know, this is why we're doing what we're doing so that we can slow disease progression here. But I just wonder, looking at periodontal disease, obviously there is um, some insights into the agenda with, with BVDA this year, but what, what sort of jumps out to you from that agenda? On our um, uh, webinar event, we, we've got um, Professor Ian Chapel coming to talk to us on the connection between periodontal disease and systemic disease. We've, it's been suspected and, and uh, there have been studies on statistical studies showing there's a connection, but actually they're now starting to be able to prove it. Direct causes, not only people, but also in animals. And I'm of the opinion that having seen lots, I, mean, I haven't done any surveys on this is only anecdotal and, and just observational that a number of animals, older animals, they're slowed down and they get old and they don't want to go for a walk unless it's really good and they plod along. And I've been amazed after cleaning their teeth, how many of these, the owner comes back and, you know, we see them a week later and they say, it's so much better. It's brighter. It's like not years off his life. And it is surprising how often that happens. And the only way I know that is because I like to see all my clinical cases back a week later, just A, check their healing, discuss post-operative care and long-term care with the owner, but also it gives me the feedback. So if I'm doing my extractions correctly, I know that A, the animal will be eating that night, um, it will be bouncy the next day, the, when I lift the lip and check a week later, I can see the gingiva's healed. If I just do the dentistry, and in a lot of practices, the vet will do the dentistry, a nurse will see it as a post-op check. The person doing the dentistry never actually sees what the end result is. And I've done some locuming since retiring from full-time clinical practice, and I've been horrified at some of the standards I've seen. <laughs> and... I've done some post-operative checks in practices where I didn't do the dentistry and I've just been, oh my God, <laughs> this person doesn't really know what they're doing. Um, whereas I'm sure if they saw their own post-operative checks, they would suddenly think, ah, this isn't going quite as it should. Mm. And they would then trigger them, hopefully, to do a better job. I think that's, um, it is interesting, isn't it? Because there's this sort of, Assumption with a lot of things that we learn about stuff in our early career and then, well, you know, we just carry on with that, that bit of knowledge through the rest of our career until we retire. But actually, you know, there is this increasing trend, thankfully, uh, that people are, are investing in their careers right the way through. Um, and of course, you know, you could be in practice 20, 30 years um, and as you say, perhaps not be, um, should we go with the, the PC approach of not delivering the best dental dental care to your patients but but what about sort of you know how can people engage with bvda specifically in order to to upskill themselves from that dental side of things because of course cpd is expensive to get for people and and there is so much that you can do digitally but but i think a lot of things especially with dentistry does require this you know, sort of hands-on educational experience in order to do that. So uh, how can people go about upskilling themselves at all stages of their careers? Mem Once you join the BVDA, you're, you're part of a bit of a community. You've got the support from particularly things like Facebook and emails. 
those of us on the committee get a number of emails each month from members who've just got specific queries and, and want help on where to go for courses and is this any good and have you got an experience of that so that's that's the, the the core and then if you really want to go forward then going on one of the longer term courses rather than just a short course is a great way there are a couple of um, certificate programs in the uk improve international and cpd solutions run and also the the longest standing one uh, the one i did probably just over 20 years ago the esavs in europe i particularly like that one because it brings together a lot of European vets and you actually get to chat and find completely different ways of doing it. Each country has got different ways and I think that's always excellent. But just even if you just keep going on our courses, come to regional meetings like our Talking Tea, you start chatting and, and absorbing bits and it's amazing how much you can absorb over, the, over a period of time. But practical skills, as you rightly said, are key to this so you can never learn all of dentistry from a book or from zoom meetings i'm afraid uh, once this current situation is over get some practical lessons you'd be amazed how much you will learn if people who think they know it when they do a practical session and just suddenly realize that there's so much they were doing wrong and how much easier it is once you're shown the right way I think one of the great things about that dental community is that people are willing to help. You know, people are willing to, uh, you know, have people into their practices to spend some time with them. I mean, I know I've spent time with three or four different uh, diplomats and certificate holders all over the UK seeing practice and some of the stuff they're doing is just awesome. But as you said earlier, a lot of that is the, you know, the sexy end of the profession. And the vast majority of what we do for most people in practice is, you know, the scale and polish. But actually... That is the most important element of dental care. If we get all of that right, well, guess what? You know, other than the odd traumatic injury or, you know, chronic issue that, you know, has, has been unavoidable, the sexy stuff kind of almost dies out a little bit because of better first opinion care. So looking, looking forwards, obviously, as you uh, delve further into retirement and as you, uh, you look to hand up your, uh, your presidential scaler, as it were, what do you what do you hope to see in terms of how we as a profession approach dentistry in future? I'd like the old idea that dentistry, uh, as uh, indicated by Professor Murillat, that um, it was unpopular and uh, of minor importance, that it becomes more important. I was at a, a CPD event some years ago now, probably 20 years ago, and a practice principal of a really large practice said to me, said, uh, uh, pontificating over dinner, said, oh, we really like dentals in my practice. We just book them in and give them to the nurses. Really? <laughs> That's a, nurses have got a, a great role to play in practice. There's no doubt that with proper training, they can play a really important part in dentistry, but not actually for taking teeth out for the diagnosis, but a veterinary surgeon needs to be involved to, di to do the directing. And the nurses can, uh, say, maintain the equipment. They can scale and polish. They can find pathology to point out to the vet, and then the vet can decide at where we go with that. But the old idea of a nurse just, oh, we've charged the client for just the nurse cracking off the tartar 
and making them look good without actually making any difference to the real periodontal disease under the gingival margin should be consigned to history. Yeah, and I think that sort of alludes to what you were touching earlier about these sort of dental advocates. And I think it's great that, you know, practices are looking at working in teams. I know the first the first teacher I had really in terms of uh, my my interest in dentistry was the head nurse at the practice I was working at and she was fantastic but the job had been left to her and her alone really for a long time and there'd not been anyone come along who'd been interested from a veterinary side of things and I think unfortunately that is all too commonplace in GP practice although you know again we touched earlier on the the um, ever-present time pressures that are on in practice but I think you know a strong vet and nurse team to deliver dental care will actually deliver a hugely profitable service for a practice that, you know, is offering the, the, the pet owner and the patient best levels of care and has the return for the practice. So, you know, it does really serve everybody to have, you know, a, an empowered and an educated veterinary dental team in-house. And of course, this year, you know, when you look at this this empowered, educated team, you guys have thought, right, we're going to go in at the deep end and we're going to run two streams at our Congress. So what's the rationale behind running two streams? The idea was that we could actually split the day between those specialists who want, who greater all than the usual dentistry, they, they know all that bit, but they want a discussion on the more advanced things. And the general practitioner who would like to, who's joined the BVDA to learn a bit more about the basic dentistry. And what we've tried, what in, has always happened in the past, the day has been a bit split. So half the talks are a bit basic for the specialists and the other half are way over the head of the, of the generalist. Mm. So by splitting it up, we can actually give each group a whole day. But even within that, there's someone in the, I'm chairing the essential stream and actually I'm really looking forward to it because I think some of those items, even though it's a, I probably know it, it's actually great just to go over it, review it. And there will almost certainly be tips I learn from the present presenters of each of those essential stream because it's things that I didn't think about and I just do it my way. And then suddenly somebody says, well, I do it this way. And you think, oh, that's a lot better. Let's do it that way. And I think it's great, isn't it, really? Because when you have an interest in a topic, it's great to see sort of the things that can be done and those things that you, that, you know, you strive to achieve in the future. And I, you know, the minute I find myself using this analogy quite a bit in that my son's 11 months old and, and much to my, my wife's enjoyment is learning to walk at the moment. So we'd hoped it'd take him a bit longer before he can disappear off. But invariably he gets carried away with himself and he's trying to go quicker and quicker and then falls over. And, and to me, that is the, you know, it's very easily to draw that comparison with your clinical development. You know, it is paramount to have a really solid grounding in, in basic essential dentistry before you go advancing into, you know, things like root canals and, you know, sort of max fax surgeries and things like that. It's not to say that you don't get there. And it's great to sort of look at these bits of content and sort of say, oh, well, that's cool. You can do that. But once you've got that initial grounding, it's great to see those two streams complementing each other. Say, look, this is what you can do in a few years' time once you've done hundreds of these uh, and thousands of these and, and you know, hopefully keeping engaged with that. So I think it's great that 
as an organisation, you're not just catering to the elite in that particular field. You're, you're really looking at a programme that will deliver an opportunity for everybody from, from you know, vet nurse, from student vet nurse, right through new graduate, undergraduate, and, and, and you know, experienced clinician to develop their skill set. And so, I, you know, I, for one, again, with my obvious dental bias, um, I'm looking forward to that. So, Paul, it's, it's great to chat. And obviously, you know, best of luck for, for the, the digital congress this year. What is, what to you would be a successful outcome for this congress? From the feedback forms, I would hope that everybody says, wow, this is great. Let's do it again. Because at the moment, we, it, things are still in the air for next year. Certainly the first half of next year. So if that remains the case, then we probably would run it again. But we need the feedback to know that. It's also great that this particular Congress is not just, if you miss it on the day because you're busy um, on the day, you can actually log on, you can actually become a delegate anytime over the next six months. Mm. Okay, you won't get the live Q&A, but you'll get all the uh, both streams being able to watch it still. So that's a, a great thing. And really, my presidential year, I said when I accepted the challenge of taking on the presidency, I said what I needed, what I wanted to do is grow the, the membership. And actually, since the launch of the digital uh, virtual conference, our membership has shot up, <laughs> which is fantastic because we've got special member rates. It's cheap. If you remember the BVDA, it's much cheaper to, uh, to become a delegate. Yeah, and I think that is, you know, it's as we touched earlier in the um, earlier in the conversation, your veterinary life and career, God willing, is long and, and you know, rewarding. But to get the maximum out of the rewards that you, you want out, it is making sure that you put that investment in and, and you know, making investments in your own interests is massive. So fingers crossed everybody who comes along gets gets a load of of insight out of the event and continues to engage with BVDA moving forwards. I think a big thank you to BVDA for having the, um, uh, the malleability to, uh, to say, look, you know what, we're not just going to shelve this event this year because, as, as we've said, dentistry is such an important element of GP practice. So, Paul, it's great to chat. Thank you so much for joining us and good luck for the Congress this year. Thank you, Ben.